Good evening, everybody. You're tuned into a very special edition of Ignite Radio Live. And tonight we're going to be airing some of the wonderful uh, content of our very first parish ignition three-night parish mission. And uh, actually, the reason we're airing this tonight is because we ask for your prayers as you're hearing this. We're in our second parish ignition at Most Blessed Sacrament. We're going to start it off tonight with a wonderful testimonial on the second night, the Phil Night, by Rita Dodd who shares a wonderful story about how easy it is for us to evangelize by simply inviting people to things like Ignite. I, lift up my soul. I want to take this opportunity tonight to tell you how blessed I think we are here at St. Peter's to have the Ignite program right here in our midst. We don't have to travel out of town. It's right here, right here in Huron. Jesus said in, in the last chapter of Mark, one of his final uh, Gospels, he said, go out and tell the story. Tell everybody. Spread the Gospel. Tell the good news. And you know, that's not real easy for some people. And tonight, I'm just going to uh, tell you a little story because I think maybe now it is easier. Last May, uh, my cousin Mary came in from out of town. She lives in Pittsburgh. And she was only going to be here for the one evening. It happened to be the evening that we were having uh, Ignite here at St. Peter's. And she was here with her husband, uh, who's a former Pittsburgh Steeler, and he'd been invited to address a group at Sawmill Creek. So I thought, okay, well, I'm not going there, so I'll ask her to come with me, you know. When I called her, I just said, you know, it's a, we're going to have a, a prayer service before the Blessed Sacrament, and I just thought maybe you'd like to join me so we could spend some time together while you're in town. Now, Mary's parents are my godparents, so she's not just my cousin. We're kind of like sisters a little bit. Uh, she's younger than I am, and she is always quick to remind me of that, that she's four, still four years younger than me. And since she doesn't live in this area anymore. It's, it's a little bit of an effort for us to keep in touch and so forth. I have to tell you, her parents were, when I was a child, they were about one step below sainthood as far as I was concerned. Aunt Lois and Uncle Bob were just amazing. Uh, they said the family rosary every night. They lived across the street from their parish church and so they went to mass most mornings, one or the other or together. They had five children, four boys. Uh, the oldest one is a deacon in the Youngstown Diocese. Mary was the only girl. And um, uh, I, I didn't hesitate to invite her. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think I was evangelizing her, really. But I didn't hesitate to invite her. And I would never have guessed how precious that invitation was to her that night. I guess I figured being raised in a home uh, like theirs that she had remained as close to Jesus as her parents had been. And having a brother who was a deacon, she didn't need to be evangelized probably. Um, so she came. She came and uh, Father had just introduced our speaker when Mary walked in. She found me in the crowd and we sat together. Um, Father told us this man was going to share his story, and then after the, the testimony, he went on to tell us what the protocol was for the evening, that the reconciliation room would be available, where to pick up our candles, and that we would then process, excuse me, we would process into the church. Um, so we did that, holding our candles, and as Mary and I came in, and we knelt in one of these front pews, uh, she, we were singing Amazing Grace, a version of Amazing Grace, and I was kind of all caught up in that. And, and she leaned over and she whispered to me, Jer, pray for me. I'm going to confession right now before I chicken out. You know, so I said, okay, why, why would you chicken out? I mean, I was caught off guard. And she said... As she left the pew, she kind of looked over her shoulder at me, and tears were running down her face. 
And she said, it's been 30 years, 30 years. And as she walked away, I said, okay, I'll pray for you. And as I prayed for her, the tears were running down my face. And I thought, thank you, God, for inspiring me to invite her tonight, that the Holy Spirit would just put that on my heart and that she would be in town that night. I mean, I just thought, okay, Lord, you're here. You do your magic, do your work, whatever it is. Um, none of us knows, really, what's in the heart of our friends and our neighbors, uh, our relatives, and, and it's none of our business. Nobody knows how they feel or where they're at. Uh, but I think, you know, if we want to answer the call, Jesus' message to us, it came from his very lips. We have this wonderful opportunity. Later that night, I learned that um, the Ignite team was a little concerned because the numbers were down. Um, they're just, I guess, I, I think maybe feeling a little deflated or whatever. And they thought maybe there should be more people here. But Jesus was here. He was right here in Huron, Ohio. He was right here in St. Peter's Church. He was right here on this altar, on his throne in the monstrance. And I know that there was at least one person also here that night, and the direction of her life was changed. One more soul for Jesus. And all I had to do was invite her. I really think they should change the name of Ignite to Invite. Thank you. Parish Ignition is an inspiring three-night journey deeper into the heart of Jesus Christ. In the following presentation, Anne-Marie Schleter shares her very moving personal journey of being emptied and filled with God's love. Though delivered to young people during the youth track, it's a message we all need to hear. For information on having a parish ignition in your parish, find us on the web at massimpact.us. One world, one mission, alive in Jesus Christ. Okay, who here wants to be liked? Okay, good, most of you, that's a good thing. Being liked is, wanting to be liked is a good desire. But sometimes our desire to be liked can take over our life and it can become an unhealthy desire. When I was in grade school, I was bullied really badly. And so going into high school, I wanted to be that person that everybody liked. And I just, I love loving people and I don't, always understand when people like don't like me even because let's face it people don't like people for stupid reasons and so um, I kind of had a rough first year of high school I went to an all-girls school and then we ended up moving I grew up in Erie Pennsylvania we uh, moved at the end of my freshman year and um, we moved I went switched schools obviously and I entered my sophomore year with this intense desire to be liked and I had just I had a relationship with Jesus somewhat and I prayed and like I have an awesome family and um, we're always praying together and my parents are just great leaders in the faith but I didn't necessarily know how to let that infiltrate the rest of my life. I don't know if you guys ever struggle with that you know you have like your youth group self and your church self but that doesn't always carry over into like your school self or your soccer team self. It's just like kind of these boxes that we kind of have our personality in in different moments. So anyway, I was still wounded from things that had happened um, in grade school and from just words would haunt me that I had said or that other people had said to me. So I entered sophomore year and I just tried to put on this perky personality and said whatever anybody wanted to hear and let it become my life, trying to please all these different people. And the atmosphere of the school is very gossipy. And I think that's how a lot of middle schools and high schools are. We just, everyone just talks about each other because it's easy to do, even if it's not like mean necessarily. It's just, that's all anybody does, right? We talk about each other. Who's ever talked about somebody here to another person? Yeah, so that was just a big thing. Also, 
I used people emotionally. We know about using people physically, right? A lot of times girls blame guys for this. But girls use guys emotionally and guys use girls emotionally too. And I was using, I have this, okay, so we're all born with this God-sized hole in our hearts. And only God can fill us, only God can satisfy us. But that year, I put people in my heart instead. I put people in God's place. I made people small g gods. And I just was like spewing words and emotions at all these people hoping that they would catch them and that they would fulfill me and satisfy me, but it wasn't working. It wasn't working at all. And I would just, I, I wanted to, I was just so many different personalities to so many different people. I'd be talking bad about one person at one point and then five seconds later, I would just be acting like I was that person's best friend. I became popular. But it didn't change. I still felt empty, I still felt hurt, I still carried that hurt with me. I became depressed because I was so focused on myself. So um, when that happened, the root of depression, I think at least for me, was being selfish because you're so focused on yourself and I wasn't focused enough on like how I could help other people, how I could serve other people. And that was just, and that turns your whole self inward and all you're thinking is about yourself. And there's a lot of things that influence that. You know, according to the world, I was doing it right. A big theme of music and movies is using people. And it's how people make us feel, right? It's like, this person satisfies me. This person just fills me. And this person makes me feel something. And the media puts these messages out there about how we should treat each other. It doesn't, we're not thinking about that person and what we can do for that person. It's just all about how, what they can do for us. So, I got into that culture a lot. According to the world, I was doing it right. I was using people, I was talking about people, and I should have been on top of the world happy, I was popular, you know, whatever. But I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. I would cry a lot. And it wasn't that I thought, oh, like, hey, I'm just going to believe in all these lies that the culture tells me and whatever. No, I still went to church. I still went to youth group. I still believed in Jesus. I still prayed. But my prayers weren't about anything in my life. It was just like, hey, God, like, that was it. And I didn't let God come into my life because I was so filled up with this mess and this just all of the wounds and the hurt that people had inflicted on me and the hurt that I had inflicted on myself. And there wasn't room for Jesus. There wasn't room for Jesus at all. And this stuff happens gradually. It's not like we wake up one day and we're gonna be like, oh, well, I'm just gonna use people and talk about people and just be mean and yeah. No, it happens gradually. And part of it is because of all of the movies and the media that we're just saturated by. Has anyone ever felt after just like listening to a certain kind of music or watching a certain type of TV show or movie, like just like, ugh, like, or being in front of your phone too long? It wears on you because that's not what we're meant for. We're not meant for like a screen. And those things can be good, right? There's awesome music out there. There's awesome movies out there. But not when we put it in the place of God and turn to that to tell us how to live our lives. So it's, grad, it's a gradual influence when all these messages are just hitting us so hard, like use people, use people, use people. No, like that's not what we're meant for. Why do we turn to the culture to tell us how to live our lives instead of God? Like we all do that and it doesn't work because God created us, God created our lives. And I just, as I was preparing for this talk, I was thinking about that and how um, ridiculous that is. Like why do we constantly turn to the world to give us advice? when Jesus is like with us and Jesus died for us. The world never died for me. I don't know about you, but like the world has never done anything that spectacular for me. I know people who like think that they're not influenced by the things around like, oh, it's a good beat so I can listen to this. Like, it's okay, I've been there, I've done it. But whatever you do right now, don't think of a pink elephant. You guys all just thought of a pink elephant because I said that. So that's kind of the whole theme that like, even if we're not necessarily, like we can even listen to a song and be like, oh, I don't agree with that and like keep listening to it. That's gonna influence the way we think, the way we think about each other as men and women, right? We're gonna start to objectify each other and treat each other as if we're just things to be used instead of people to be loved. So the power of influence is strong and we're designed a specific way and we're designed by God 
When I learned to stop filling myself with junk and stop filling myself with people, and that took a long time. <laughs> it's funny because in attempting to heal myself by myself, I created an even bigger mess. So I was even worse off than when I started. It's not like you just say like, okay, Jesus, save me like right now, and then all of a sudden you're a saint. That doesn't work that way. It's a process and it's praying and it, it's painful. It is so painful to let yourself be forgiven and be healed. And there were just, again, there was just things in my mind and my heart that just kept coming back to me. And I was like, God, how can you still love me after this? And when I came to that point that I realized what I was talking about, what I was doing was wrong, I felt like God could never forgive me because of how I had treated myself and as other people. And I remember this one day, and I was has anyone ever heard the song, How He Loves? David Crowder wrote it. I don't know if they ever played it at Ignite or whatever. Um, it's a really great song, so look it up if you haven't heard it. But I was sitting in Spanish class, and I was listening to the song. It was actually the Jesus Culture version, and the singer Kim Walker just started talking about, like, if you never encountered the love of God, then open yourself up to doing it right now. And if you don't know, then you haven't. Because if you encountered the love of God, you would know. It would show in the way that you treat every single person, in the way that you talk to every single person. And it would especially show in the way that you treat yourself. And part of my, and through all this, when I was hurting other people, my parents have always taught me that the way you treat people is a reflection of how you think about yourself. I wasn't happy with myself. I thought I wasn't good enough, I wasn't whole enough, I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't smart enough. I just wasn't enough. And I remember thinking that so many nights before I went to sleep, thinking, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And I would go to the world and I would try to fill myself with worldly things, but the world would just keep telling me that I'm not enough and that I need this and I need this and I need a boyfriend and I need good grades and I need this outfit. But it didn't work because I tried it and it doesn't work. It doesn't fill you because we're not designed for those things. Yeah, those things can be good, but not when we make them small g gods. So anyway, when I finally came to this point and I was listening to this song and I was like, God, I don't feel your love. I don't feel your love anymore. I used to feel your love. You're supposed to love me no matter what and I don't understand why I can't feel your love. You're supposed to love me infinitely. No matter what I do, that's what I've been taught. I don't know about you guys. And I just like was trying so hard not to cry because I realized that I was so far from God because of myself, because of my selfishness. So I realized just in like a split second that I wasn't able to feel the love of God because I wasn't letting him love me because of how I was thinking about myself. I was thinking that I wasn't good enough. And like, the thing is, is you guys, we're made in the image and likeness of God. I don't think we realize that because if we realized that, we would be totally perfect because we'd realize that everyone here is made in the image and likeness of God. So we wouldn't be mean to each other. We wouldn't think badly about ourselves. In the image and likeness of God, in the image and likeness of the creator of the universe, if we realized that, we wouldn't be filling ourselves with junk. We wouldn't be filling ourselves with other things, with other people. We wouldn't be turning to other things to satisfy us. And I just realized in that moment that God, that I'm not enough. I'm not enough on my own, but God's enough. And that God wants me. God wants you. God wants you in your brokenness. He doesn't just want your church self. He doesn't just want your youth group self. He doesn't just want your Ignite self. He wants your messy self. He wants the self that hates yourself. He wants the part of you that's mean to people. He wants the part of you that doubts. The part of you that doubts him. We all have it. He wants all of it. And he just wants you to come running. And he wants to embrace you and empty you of all of the hurt. But when I stopped and just like Mama Mary, she, she's amazing. I don't know if you guys have a devotion to Mary, but like the rosary was so big for me because like I just felt so comforted by the presence of my mom. And that was just incredible. And like praying to the Holy Spirit just to help to um, just f empty you of like your wounds and just to touch your heart and to make room for Jesus, it's a huge deal. So anyway, um, I started listening to God and 
I, I may have lost friends, but I became so happy and so joyful. And I, was, I had been miserable. And like, it's again, it's that whole thing of why do we listen to the world instead of listening to God? So the world has a manual and the church has a manual. The world's manual is all the movies and the TV and social media and everything else. And those things tell us that we're not good enough. Those things tell us that we'll really never be good enough. They just keep saying, oh, well, you'll be good enough if you have this. And then you have that. And then you have to get the next thing. We've all been there. We all know it. But the manual that the church gives us is the Bible. And there is nothing more powerful that I could say to you than what this Bible has to say. Because... This is who you guys are. So I'd like you to close your eyes and just think about this. This is from the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image after our likeness. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. That's pretty powerful. In the image and likeness of God, we are created. We have so much power. Jesus came and he died and he defeated evil and we have so much power in his name. So if you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with self-hate, God gives you the power to overcome it through Jesus Christ. How incredible is that? We don't have to be slaves to fear. We don't have to be slaves to self-hate. We don't have to be slaves to the garbage that the world throws at us. We have Jesus Christ and he has defeated death and there's nothing left to be defeated. He lives inside of you guys. He lives inside of us. Every Sunday, and maybe even more, and tonight, we get to see Jesus. We get to consume Jesus. That's been like striking me more and more lately as I go to church, like as I go to mass and just like, I'm in the presence of God. Like the same God that created the universe, the same God that came and died for me. And he comes to me because he's radically in love with me. He's radically in love with you. And he desires for you to be radically in love with him. You are made in the image and likeness of God. If that's all you take away from this talk, this imperfect human talk, let that be it. The knowledge that you are made in the image and likeness of God. This is from 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been purchased at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your thoughts and actions. Did you guys know if Nathan, right? Is that your name? Nathan. So Nathan, if you were the only person to ever have been created, Jesus Christ still would have come and died for you. That's a pretty awesome thought. If just you were created, only you, you were the only person on the face of the earth, Jesus Christ still would have come and died for you and saved you. He still would have come and died for you and saved you. That gives me shivers, like that thought. That like, I mean that much to him. Do you guys realize everything that Jesus went through for us? Do we really realize it? Do we really just let it infiltrate our mind, infiltrate the way that we act? How about the way that we treat each other? If we don't realize that we're made in the image and likeness of God, how am I supposed to realize that you guys are made in the image and likeness of God, right? How are we supposed to treat our friends like they're made in the image and likeness of God? Jesus wants us to love ourselves. He doesn't want us to hate ourselves. He doesn't want us to beat ourselves up. He provided the sacrament of confession to bring us home because he wants to forgive us. Oh, that's just so awesome. So tonight's theme is emptying. And it's about being emptied of all the stuff we place in our God-sized hole. And it can be really hard to be emptied. And it's not like a one-time fix of like, okay, well, Jesus, just take all this. And like I said, it was a long journey for me. And it involves a lot of prayer and a lot of talking to people and a lot of forgiving and asking to be forgiven. 
So, um, and it, 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 I was even realizing like this morning at church, like there's someone in my life that I've been really struggling to forgive lately. And um, I'm full of that. And then I kind of felt like a hypocrite because I'm like, I'm giving this talk tonight on being emptied and I'm not even emptied completely. So I'm not here because I'm perfect. I mean, as this talk kind of shows, I'm not perfect, but I'm striving to be. And I know you guys are striving to be. And I think it's awesome that you guys are here. Living for Jesus is always worth it, even if we get down and we get depressed and we beat ourselves up. It's just get right back in there. Again, the sacrament of confession is incredible for that. It's like the restart button. It's awesome. Again, you guys, we have dominion over so much in the name of Jesus. There's this awesome book called Unbound. And basically, the theme of Unbound is about all of the um, evil spirits that we hold on to. Because Satan's real. And Satan doesn't want us to be happy. Satan wants us to buy into the world. So when you're feeling doubt, say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce doubt. In the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce self-hate. In the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce depression. In the name of Jesus Christ, I claim peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, I claim love. God wants to give us these things. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to love. He wants us to forgive, and I know that it is hard to forgive. It is so hard to forgive. But look at Jesus. Who has suffered more than Jesus? And he came and he died for those who hurt him. We have to continually pray for perfection and strive for perfection and strive to forgive and release those just feelings of junk and unforgiveness in our hearts because we'll never be able to be filled with Jesus if we're clinging on to hate and unforgiveness. The Holy Spirit is moving. This is a historic moment. We're about more than a moment, but a movement. We're engaging pastors and parishioners in the great adventure of becoming dynamic communities of intentional disciples. For more information, go to massimpact.us. One world, one mission, alive in Jesus Christ. I just came up to you with a microphone in my hand and said, now give me a reason to follow Jesus. Or if I asked you the question, what has he done for you? What has Jesus done for you? Hang on to that because it's going to contextualize the rest of tonight. That we would become a people that can as easily speak about our relationship with Christ and personalize this empty fill and overflow as we would talk about our family or talk about our work. That question, which we will revisit later, all has to do with the overflow, all has to do with evangelization, the good news, to good news somebody. As we talked about yesterday, actually the last two days, anything that we do has to be anchored in our relationship with Christ. In that encounter, when Pope Francis spent his time here in the U.S., over and over and over again, he used that word, encounter. Have we truly encountered Christ? It is about relationship. We can't give what we don't have. And as Greg gave the stats yesterday in Sherry Waddell's book, um, she brings to the shocking truth out front of 40% of Catholics don't believe that a personal relationship with God is even possible. We should, that should like stun us. And another quote, or another stat that he gave, that Catholics who go to church regularly, only 13% of that group, a recent study, pray grace before meals. Now that's not a litmus test kind of thing, but that should like, hmm, what's going on? What we do here in this church should overflow into the basic aspects of our life, not to mention the deepest, deepest parts of it. So the degree to which we are not intentionally evangelizing should wake us up to the fact that maybe we ourselves have not been evangelized. Pope John Paul II said, Sometimes even Catholics have lost or never had the chance to experience Christ personally. Not Christ as a mere paradigm or value, but as the living Lord, the way, the truth, and the life. 
Do we know Christ as a friend, as a person? Have we ever opened ourselves up to that? Have we ever had the chance? Have we ever, in the heart of hearts, just prayed that? A very brief story, um, a, a parishioner, we're at St. Joan of Arc in Toledo, and um, our boys are often called upon to serve a lot, especially for special things, in particular funerals that may have a heavier feel to them. And so Joseph and John Paul were asked to serve a funeral mass for a little stillborn baby of um, a little boy who had another twin who survived. And so, you know, of course, I was just like, oh my gosh, that is so sad. And we prayed for this family and whatnot. And when I picked them up after the mass, Joseph said to me, he said, mom, do you know who it was? And he told me the name, which I didn't recognize the last name. We had met them recently. And all of a sudden, my heart became even heavier. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, oh. The circumstance didn't change. But I had a personal connection with that family, and it meant all the more. As we look at that crucifix, is that something that we know about and feel like, oh, wow, that's pretty amazing that someone did that for me? Or can we truly picture a friend, someone that we know deeply and personally who did that for me? So our evangelization needs to be anchored in that encounter. Pope Benedict says, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an evidence, an, a person which gives life a new horizon in decisive direction. Again, not a thing, but a person. Pope Francis says to us, I invite all Christians everywhere at this very moment to a renewed personal encounter with Jesus Christ, or at least an openness to letting him encounter them. I ask all of you to do this unfailingly each day. It's not boom, did it, done. Reading the scriptures also makes it clear that the gospel is not merely about our personal relationship with God. To the extent that he reigns within us, the life of society will be a setting for universal fraternity, justice, peace, and dignity. Both Christian preaching and life, then, are meant to have an impact. Jesus' mission is to inaugurate the kingdom of his Father. He commands his disciples to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not just something that we work toward and hopefully get to. The Lord in his goodness desires us to have it. It's at hand. It's right there. He desires us to experience the joy and the goodness and all that he wants to give us right here in this life. And John Paul II exhorts us to, quote, shout it from the rooftops. Last time I checked, the rooftops were outside. How easy it is for some of us, and naturally in our humanness so, that we're in our church setting or when we're in our Bible studies or in these different churchy things, it's easier to talk about, of course. But we are meant to share it with the world. There is a sense of urgency to this. And, and the Lord desires to use us in that. Concepts can keep us at a distance. And I think as we addressed screw tape letters a few days ago, this great work by C.S. Lewis that showcases the main devil, Screwtape, and it's all about his letters to his nephew, Wormwood, and how he can better tempt the particular human. And what's stunning in that particular book is you get things like this. You know, it doesn't matter if they go to Mass or go to church. It doesn't matter if they pray. What matters is that you have them thinking about how good they are. Have them thinking about all the holy things they do. Have them think about anything but being a disciple of Jesus Christ, or he would say in the book, The Enemy. And that's a good challenge to us who are Catholics and might keep our faith in the classroom 
When we hear a priest speak or you're hearing us, our eyes gloss over. Let me ask you the question. When we hear like Acts 4.32 to 34, it says, the community of believers were of one heart and soul. They shared everything in common. And with power they gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Now let me ask you this question as a test. In your mind as I read that, and be honest in your soul, I want to ask you to respond here, but in your soul as you heard that and as you're hearing us tonight, is there a temptation to think, well, that's kind of a nice account. It's a nice kind of image of what took place 2,000 years ago. Or when you hear those words, do you think that is our description? That people outside of this building, when they think about St. Peter's, they say, that community of believers, they're of one heart and soul. Wow. They're united. They got a purpose. They got a mission. They're sharing things in common. They're making a difference. They're selfless. They're sacrificing. And you know, the biggest thing is with power, they're giving witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does that describe this community? That's where this needs to go. It's got to break off the chalkboard, break out of our books, break out of our easy, comfortable places where we are just spectators and recognize in spite of our fears in spite of our reservations, in spite of our doubts, that this is our ultimate, supreme, epic call. And that this is what God is calling us to do, and I will say, this is what urgently needs to be done, and we're the ones to do it. It's not the mayor, it's not going to be the whatever nonprofit organizations out there that do it. God is looking to you and me for the most fundamental thing that will transform this community, and that is to live what we believe, to live what we profess. C.S. Lewis said, all whom we come into contact with, we will either lead closer to or further away from Christ. When we pray as a family, we include intercession for the souls in purgatory. And during that prayer, we don't just pray for them, we ask for the grace of their prayers to see our world now through their lens. Think about that. Look at your world now through the lens. Ask God to anoint your mind to see, having navigated into that place, God willing, to purgatory, and what they're struggling or fighting with, how they see that purification of all the things that you and I right now are dealing with. We will see, hopefully, many souls who are there because we overcame our fears and our doubts and reservations. But, you know, we may also see and it's a sobering thought. We may also see those who did not come to know Jesus because we were stuck with the top on our glass as we talked about the flea thing. We remained reserved. We remained um, just maybe formulaic. We lacked our openness of heart to Christ to be that witness to those people that God intended to know. Father Larry Richards has been a good friend from Erie, Pennsylvania, and uh, my wife has known him as a lifelong uh, native, lived there for 43 years, and I met him when I moved there after seminary and living with Father Benedict Rochelle. Um, they brought the Tech to Encounter Christ program that my parents had brought from Green Bay. I'll draw you a Venn diagram later, but parents brought the Tech program to Cleveland from Green Bay, and Stephanie and a woman, Diane Tui Gallagher now, and Father Larry brought it from there to um, Erie, Pennsylvania. Father Larry was just kind of taken off, and when I came to the city, he was privileged to produce his film and help him be part of the Reason for Our Hope Foundation. And the passage that describes Father Larry's ministry is from 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, revere God, Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Are you ready? Somebody comes up to you, or are you ready to offer it a reason for hope in Jesus to that friend in your life right now who's struggling with a kind of addiction, alcohol, pornography, marriage, kids, Spouses, are you aware of the life, the conquering life within you? Have you been convinced of the power of Christ so much? Has it poured into your heart to give you a portion of God's heart for those people? That you are going to break through the reservations and doubts and fears and connect with them and give them a reason, a seed, 
of God's conquering, transforming hope that he can accomplish? It's a big question for us. In Revelations 12, and they have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, (laughs) excuse me, and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Think about it. Is Satan active in our world today? When you open the paper today, do you see Satan active? When you turn on the news, do you see Satan active? When you walk through the mall or the store and you see people not having eye contact or kids on their devices, do you see the work of Satan? And should you ask the question, well, what conquers Satan? I thought the church was meant to conquer Satan. I thought Jesus and his power was meant to conquer Satan. Or is that just kind of a nice myth and fiction that we just sort of nod our heads to or answer the multiple choice correctly in a, in a class? Well, right here it says they conquered him by what? The blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You want to conquer Satan. You want to see the transformation of the world. God is saying to you and me it begins with him conquering us. That we become convinced that his life-transforming power will translate into a bold testimony to all those who need to hear it. Bold testimony, confident testimony, not just cliche or throwing words out or televangelist kind of speak, and I know we all have fears of that. What will they say? What will they think? Well, I asked you guys, some of you, your work. I asked you about your family. Just float out of you. It's natural. It's right there. It's our connection to what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives so real that not even worried about what the world thinks or how it's received. We're there as a doctor would be there to offer a response to uh, somebody who's physically ill. Because we're called, in a sense, as we're being healed, to be instruments of Christ, of healing to others. And it's done through the Holy Spirit. Maybe we're fearful because we feel American. I can do it, John Wayne, on my own. No. The Spirit is the evangelist alive in us. The empty and full of the Spirit says in John 15, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I love the Psalms of David. He already had a portion of the Holy Spirit many, many years before Christ. I will praise you to all my brothers. I will stand up before the congregation and testify of the wonderful things you have done. How awesome would it be at the end of Mass if somebody said, wait, before you guys go, that was an amazing Mass, but i got to testify what God's doing in my life. I was in this place a year ago, and this certain thing happened in my life that caused me to encounter Jesus, and i got to give testimony because some of you tonight may be thinking that you're facing some circumstances that you cannot overcome. And i got to tell you, I thought that a year ago, and I'm standing before you today to tell you that what's going on up that altar in Jesus Christ is the power to transform lives, and i got to give testimony to that because without that, I'm a fake. And this world needs it. It needs to hear your testimony. It doesn't need to be this huge, life-transforming conversion story, but it needs to hear you give witness to the power of God alive, working in your life. Another psalm, My tongue will declare your righteousness and praise you all day long. Our work should be a work of praise, lifted up to Jesus. Our sports should be a work of praise. Our conversations should be a work of praise. Constantly. Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, in an address in 2000, took up the question of the new evangelization. He said it's directed toward baptized non-believers. This is one of the most brilliant men, if not the most brilliant man alive, in my opinion. And I'd think, that's an oxymoron. Baptized non-believer? Wait, I'm sacramentalized. I've gone through the sacraments. I'm faithful in going to church. I pray my rosary. He's speaking to us. The new evangelization is directed toward us. Baptized non-believers. Those who are, quote, culturally Christian, but haven't experienced a conversion of heart to Christ and his teachings. Ralph Martin, one of my favorite big brothers in Christ up there with Renewal Ministries, Peter Herbeck and Sister Ann Shields, he puts in front of us constantly 
that salvation doesn't just happen. It's not because you're nice or you're kind. The criteria of eternal life is what? Perfection. Heaven, which is a place of perfection, demands that you and I be perfect. And short of perfection, by God's grace, we'll find our way in purgatory. But guess what? If we believe in Scripture and the Catechism, Satan is real and hell is real and people go there. Ralph Martin says, one of the main obstacles is confusion about what's the truth about God's salvation, heaven, and hell, whether it really matters about what you believe or how you act. And John Paul II makes it clear that new evangelization, to be effective, it's essential that we have an understanding of our culture. Otherwise, we're just throwing words at people and concepts. So there's this idea as Jesus was up in the heavens in Philippians 2, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped at. He emptied himself and took the form of a slave. That's evangelization for us. Kind of enter into the life of another person and experience what it must be like with the struggles they're having in every regard and find a language to connect with them. That's what John Paul is speaking about. And so we come back to the ABC call to testimony. ABC. We began with the ultimate drama. Life, death, and resurrection. We are in that journey, you and I. We begin at a certain point and it's constantly going on. We encounter the challenge, the crucible, through which we emerge on the other side. Mine simply, or one of them, would be this. Grew up in a great family, seven kids, Catholic, prayed. Somewhere along the line, hit high school. MTV culture kicks in. My older brother, Bart, starts drinking. Suddenly this good Catholic family, seven ducklings going up to Mass in the front line and praying and all that, starts to fall apart, starts to be swearing, starts to be deception, starts to be a lot of uh, discord in the family. Younger brothers start to follow my older brother. I go off to college at some point and I see the same thing happening. I see that fruit being offered to people and I see at Miami of Ohio just herds like that Pied Piper, those rats just kind of following that sound of their death, not asking where it's coming from or where it's leaning feeling very alienated, feeling very alone. I didn't have a conversion of heart. I thought that I could accomplish good things by doing good things. Well, I'm going to be the prayerful one. I'm going to go to Mass. I'm going to be strong. There was a pride there. I was basing my value on the good things that I could do. If I just do good things, I can make my parents proud. I can overcome the the debauchery in my family. Satan works that way. Now, I'm not saying don't do good things. I'm saying I was basing my value on what I did instead of who Jesus Christ is and discovering my unsurpassed dignity by God's grace through a, not even a dark night of the soul, a dark weekend of the soul, a real battle in my life. I really came to see I don't care if I end up on a park bench or poor or aren't able to use any of the gifts God gave me because I will know my value. It was a major conversion moment, one of many in my life through which I said, Lord, I know the evil one, so I must know all the more that you exist. And like John 6 to Peter, where am I to go? You've got the words of eternal life. You lead me. You guide me. That's a little bit of my ABC story. Because of time, I'm not going to put you guys on the spot. But I would ask you, because we're going to invite you tonight to pray about becoming a community of missionary disciples, to become a kind of team that we spoke of yesterday talking about champions of faith, those baseball players, to consider just as they did, or business leaders, what it might take to become that kind of community that involves a kind of commitment, a kind of focus on what does winning look like and what will it take to get there. And I'll submit to you the heart of that, the heart of it, throw everything else away. I'm not going to say throw the mass away without any respect, but the power of the mass will only be received the degree to which you connect what is going on here with your personal life, death, and resurrection, and you have an ability to give a reason for your hope for anybody who would ask. And so we want to walk you very quickly um, through an intentional evangelization process. We know we don't have to look very far out into our world and to see that the world is evangelizing. They are calling people to live a certain way, to encounter certain things, to do certain things. They're phenomenal at evangelizing in that culture. How are we called to evangelize to combat that? 
And again, you don't need to have this huge, epic conversion story. You need to just know the love of Christ in your life. And the Lord puts us in community, whether it's our family, our friends, our parish family, wherever we find ourselves, to help one another in that. It can be from the smallest things to when you're out and about saying, God bless you. It can be as you're commenting on the weather instead of just saying, oh, what a beautiful day. How about what a beautiful day the Lord has given to us. But the Lord places people in our lives for a reason. So right now I invite you to think of a person. And if someone doesn't come to mind right away, to pray about the person that the Lord desires you to help bring himself to. Step one is called appointment. Who is the Lord asking you to engage in an intentional way? And that doesn't mean you have it all together. None of us have it all together. Consider someone closest to you, someone that you work with, a family member, a neighbor, somebody that you already have a good relationship It could even be someone who seems very religious, goes to all the things, listens to all the CDs, reads all the books, but just you sense that that intimate connection with Christ is missing. And these aren't judgments. These are just what we're called to do to build each other up. So pray to move beyond the doubts, the fears, all those things, because it's not easy. None of us And I think even Father would attest to this as a priest. It's not something that you don't have that nervousness or the adrenaline starts to flow when the Lord is asking you to to connect with somebody about him. Accept this person as you pray about it as God's appointment. As Greg said yesterday, with appointing comes anointing. What God calls you to, he will provide for. Step two, empathy. Commit to praying for that person that the Lord has put on your heart every day. Just begin by simply praying for him or her, whoever that is, to intentionally pray, to offer up sacrifices with the intent of more fully understanding what this person may be going through, to have that empathetic heart. What is his world like? What is most important to him? What are his hopes and fears? Pray that God gives you his heart for that person. So step one is appointment. Step two is empathy. This person is probably low-hanging fruit in your life already. Step three is connecting with them. You already are probably connecting with them. You know, it's setting up, if you will, an opportunity to connect for a substantial period of time. Hey, can we get together and have some coffee? Let's go for a walk. Maybe if it's guys, let's go to the bar and have a beer. Can I buy you a beer? An easy way to connect with them, and again, the goal is to convey your deep interest, your deep compassion, your deep desire to know what they're about. And you're not going to part without asking them if there's anything in particular that you can pray for them for. So that's step three. You're going to connect, and you're going to convey to them a real interest in their life. Step four is you're going to build the relationship. You'll follow up, and this is cyclical. Three and four go back and forth. They kind of of go back and forth in a dialectic. You make that connection. You express great interest. You're asking questions. The empathy has opened your mind. Well, then you're building the relationship is step four. Hey, you mentioned some things the other day. Um, How's that going? Because I want you to know I was praying for that. You, you make the connection with them that you are deeply interested in their life. And so you're going to go back and forth probably from, hey, can we get together again? Further connections that are substantial. You're building that relationship, and you're trying, kind of being attuned to the ABC in their life. You're being attuned to what are the points of brokenness. Let me give you another word for brokenness. The door. Jesus called himself the door. It is his brokenness that we enter into, the body, blood, soul, and divinity. My body body broken for you. Look for that brokenness for that person. And you're not there to fix it. We're not there to come, guys, our challenge, we want to fix it. No, it's to listen, it's to understand that they get from us that more than just a project that we want to accomplish, that you're a person in their life that is deeply interested in them. And at some point in that, When you connect with their brokenness, again, building that relationship, 
you're going to tell them about Jesus, but it's going to be the most natural thing in the world because they don't have answers. We don't have answers. At some point, you're going to feel an invitation in that brokenness without any other answer because no other answer exists to say, hey, can I just share with you a moment in my life where I was experiencing and maybe still am some brokenness? I came to this moment of real need church or a prayer or a workshop or whatever it was, you're going to share that with them. And something happened when I called Jesus and, and made him my Lord. I asked him, even though I was going to church my whole life, but there was a moment when I said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to give it all to you. And the difference that it has made for me, I just want to tell you, Steve, it is really an awesome thing and it really is powerful. And can I just, you know, pray with you right now? Not that it's this magic one-time prayer, and I know that, you know, you'll have the language to speak with them, but you're going to pray with them if they're comfortable with that. And, and just real simple, ask for God's grace for them to know how deeply they're loved, how much God fashioned them for himself, and that he wants them to have an abundant life, and that he wants to be a source of healing in their life, and to help them surrender those affections, all the empty movements we talked about, to help them surrender those things so that God's love can fill them. As we move through these next, the last steps here too, keep in mind that this usually and can be a lengthy process. This is not check, check, day one, day two, but to work in the Lord's time and to know that for as much as you desire somebody close to you or the person that the Lord has brought to you to encounter him, imagine how much more the Lord desires that. And he'll wait for all eternity for it to happen. So step five, invitation to encounter. What, what is a way that you can invite this person in a, in a, um, for an opportunity to truly encounter Christ? You guys are blessed here to have Ignite. We've seen more and more people use Ignite to help somebody come back to a relationship with the Lord, to experience him for the first time, to... It's easy evangelization. It's not somebody who is lost through the motions of the mass and doesn't know what to do or has been away for a while and just feels funny coming back. To be able to invite them to Ignite is a real blessing. You know, use that occasion. Take them out to eat before or for a cup of coffee. Right here, there's a great ice cream place, Pied Piper. Is that true? Across the street. But something to foster, again, that comfort level and relationship. If you don't meet beforehand, be here present. Greet that person upon arrival. Sit with him or her. This is about deeper intimacy with Jesus Christ. So you've kind of brought him to the door, and you allow the Lord to do the rest. So step six, after they've really hopefully come into the presence of Christ here and encountered Jesus, and they sense something different, or it's at the end of a crucio or a chirp or a tech, all great opportunities for that encounter. It's important that we convey to them that this is not just leapfrogging from the one door to another. Well, I'll try this, and then I'll try this, and I'll try that. It's important that they walk through that door and see the road. So we got the metaphor of the door and the road. Through the door of Ignite, there needs to be a road, and that means we need to maybe build it. An invitation to life engagement, to discipleship. We've introduced something called these Live It Guides. It's what they're all about. Men's groups can do it. Women's groups can do it. Couples can get together and do it. Families can do it. Bishop is inviting us to accept the Live It Challenge. I extend that challenge to you tonight. Could you pull together five, six people? Go to massimpact.us. Click on the start here. Click the group if that's the one or the family one and do that one-page inventory. Find five, six, seven friends and say, will you do this with me? Let's find a time to make this work. And at the end of an Ignite, you can say, hey, folks, how many of your hearts were touched tonight? And they'll raise their hands. How many of you would like a context of brothers or sisters that would support you, encourage you in a regular way? Many will raise their hands. Well, outside, we want to invite you to sign up for a Live It group. There's a time that meets. There's a group type that meets. Some it's Alcoholics Anonymous Live It group. Whatever works, sign up. But the point is discipleship. This is what it means. It merits a priority because it's why God created us. And finally... Step seven, they become you, in a sense, that they become the one to disciple others. You continue to love that person. You continue to support and encourage that person. 
but it starts to overflow in their life as they're meeting and gathering and coming to Ignite and inviting others. They're saying, hey, I, I just, there's this other person in my life that I want to invite to do that. And you're like, you're ready. Parish Ignition is an inspiring three-night journey deeper into the heart of Jesus Christ. For information on having a Parish Ignition in your parish, find us on the web at massimpact.us. One world, one mission. Alive in Jesus Christ. Jesus.